This is episode number 56 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of To Birth and Beyond. It's Jesse Mundell. And Anita Lambert. And on today's podcast, um, we're going to share about uh, resources and and kind of specific ways that I prep, uh, prepared for Jack and Pippa's birth. Um, and I know Jess is going to share too about some leading up to Steele's birth. Um, and so we thought this would be helpful. I know I've had a lot of people ask, you know, what do I do to prepare, prepare for birth? Um as a birthing person, but also as a physiotherapist who works um, primarily with pregnant people. So uh, hopefully you'll find these resources helpful. I'll make sure to put as many as I can in the show notes um, so you can check those out. And just before we get started, I don't want you to feel that you need to do every single item um, like how I prepped. I love birth. I love everything surrounding birth, bit of a birth geek. And like I said, for work, I work a lot with you know, people who are preparing for birth. So do not feel you have to do all of these. You may kind of pick and choose certain ones um, that you're like, oh, I never actually thought about looking into that, asking about that, researching that. So hopefully all these um, will be helpful to you or anyone that you know. Um, and then also to know too, so I was planning a home birth with both both babies and we did have home births. Um and if you're not thinking of having a home birth, I don't want you to turn this podcast off because all these items are definitely usable if you're preparing for a hospital birth or a birth center birth. And as we get talking to you, you'll actually see that I how I prepared was not specifically for a home birth, actually prepared for every possible scenario. Um, so just to keep that in mind, because I really think these resources um are helpful for regardless of the birth that you're planning for or the birth that actually happens. Such important things to mention. And I know we've talked about this before, Anita, but we were just saying that I felt like I had a lot of uh, bandwidth with my first pregnancy and going to that first birth to really prepare and do a lot of things. And I wanted to do a lot of things. And with the second birth, which was seven months ago, I just didn't like, I didn't have it in me physically, mentally, emotionally. So as you said, this isn't supposed to be or meant to be or wanting to be triggering in any way. These are just suggestions and ideas and feel free to take and leave whatever might work for you. I was talking to Jess before we hit record, trying to figure out how are we going to kind of categorize um, the different areas of preparing. So what we're going to be talking about is kind of the physical ways of preparing and then the mental and emotional ways of preparing. And then I'm also going to go through birth preferences. And we did do a specific episode on birth preferences. Um, so in this episode, I'm going to be more walking through kind of 
how I made my birth preferences, how I went through those with my care provider, because it might give you ideas as well um, of what you may want to include or just kind of how to go about it, because it can be a little bit overwhelming when you're thinking, you know, what are my preferences for birth? Um, so we're going to start with the physical side. So um, physically, I definitely kept up strength training so even before being pregnant in between pregnancies like it's been a part of my life since early high school um since being in sports um and dance so i kept that up and i really kept it up until the end um of pregnancy but not to say it looked the same throughout or that it looked the same in pregnancy versus um uh, between pregnancies or pre uh, first pregnancy. Um, and for me, it's like free weights, kettlebells, any sort of strength training, body weight, um, strength training exercises. And Jess has so many resources on these, which is pretty awesome. And I know this was something that you did in both your pregnancies as well. Um, and the strength training, I would say, wasn't specifically for birth. And I've talked about this before. For birth, for me, it's more about learning to let go, to release, to let go of tension. The strength training, I don't feel, was a huge component of that. What it did help was to make my pregnancy what I feel was more comfortable. Um, and then also postpartum, and I was reminded again after giving birth, like carrying a baby, carrying a car seat with a baby in it, with a stroller, in and out of the car, Um and, you know, the diaper bag, just juggling things and carrying things, you realize how much strength you require from quite early on. So I looked at strength training in pregnancy as more training for my postpartum um, that I knew it was really going to come in handy. Um, and even though after birth, like your body is exhausted and everyone's birth is going to be different. So there is that transition. But I felt that strength training was just so, so important for afterwards, especially this time having an infant and a toddler. I don't know. How did you find that, Jess? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm nodding and taking notes to things that you're saying because so much is standing out for me. Exactly. You know what's so interesting is probably, gosh, I don't know, like six, eight years ago when I was really getting into strength training and pregnancy and starting to learn a whole bunch more about the core and the pelvic floor and all this stuff, my messaging was really towards pregnant people that we need to exercise and strength train and prepare for labor and birth in the way of exercise and strength training. And it's 100% not a part of my messaging anymore for exactly those reasons. I think that oh, we can get so caught up in this hashtag fit pregnancy stuff as well too. We think that if we exercise hard, like that's what we need to have a successful birth, whatever that might mean for you. And the two are just really not correlated at all. Like how much you exercise during pregnancy doesn't mean that your birth is going to look this or that way. And it's exactly what you said. I really like to encourage exercise and strength training and like to do that for myself during pregnancy is because postpartum is physically intense. And as you said, Anita, especially with a toddler around, you know, there just wasn't much time to not pick the toddler up and to not be physically active with the toddler this time around and that's coming from 
my experience too, which was having a C-section and the advice is, you know, don't lift anything heavier than the baby for six weeks. That doesn't really work out the second time around if you have other kids. So I, that was again, top of mind for me too. I needed strength for postpartum. And also I find strength training for me and for a lot of my clients too is so beneficial during pregnancy for a multitude of reasons, but to help you be as comfortable as possible in a changing pregnant body. Um, I always say this, but for real strength training and exercising was when I was most comfortable during pregnancies, like sleeping was awful, but strength training felt good. It doesn't make sense still now looking back on it, but it really was. And I just think that when your body's going through all these adjustments and gaining weight and body fat and body pounds, it can just be a helpful tool to, to making you feel as good as possible in that changing body but totally agree prep for postpartum in terms of the strength training and more physically demanding exercise in pregnancy can be a really good thing for you. And then in terms of the, the opposite we're talking about is like the release work. And, um, I know some people might think release work is just, just stretching. Um, and that can definitely be part of it. Um, but what Jess and I are also talking about is like, how to relax your body fully and how to release tension as we talk about a lot in the pelvic floor. Um, because again, for birth with a vaginal birth, you want to be able to, um, not be holding on or, you know, tightening when you're wanting the baby to come out that way. So, you know, working on that throughout pregnancy, I found very helpful. I would say some differences between, so Jack um, is now a little over two months and Pippa is three. So with preparing for Pippa's birth, I would say I, I, when I was going into pregnancy, I had tension in my pelvic floor. So I was seeing a pelvic physio too, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, that even being a pelvic physio, we see pelvic physios as well. Um, and so I knew I had tension going in, uh, growing up as a dancer and an athlete, I just, that's where I, where I held it. And I didn't know until I saw a pelvic physio myself. So, um, that was something I was working on initially in the, in the kind of first part of pregnancy with her. Um, and then when that was kind of released and staying release, I would strength strengthen. And then I would say the third trimester with her, I, I did more release work, like the prenatal yoga and the flower bloom breath that I often talk about, um, but I really didn't do that with her until, yeah, kind of the third trimester, whereas this time with Jack, like I started into that from the beginning and I wasn't going into this birth with tension in my pelvic floor. So it's just kind of over the years what I've seen with clients and I am always thankful for my clients because I know they learn things from me, but I learn from them and how their body reacts as well to different strategies in pregnancy. So I did notice that, that, you know, I could continue strength training throughout pregnancy, but I was going to start release work sooner this time um, just to make sure I could maintain that relaxation for birth. And I do think that really helped. Um, and I'm also like, I'm a fan of yoga in general. And when I got pregnant, then I kind of switch over to specific prenatal yoga. Um, and I did that throughout. Whereas again, with Pippa, I started more the prenatal yoga more third trimester and this time I kind of from the get-go I just kind of switched over and Jess how about you with release work yeah so I definitely and I think this is surprising for some people too but I did 
probably more in this last pregnancy leading up to what I knew was going to be a scheduled C-section than I did the first time, which was planning for home birth and ended in an emergency C-section. So yeah, same as you, I did more release type work and breath and some stretching, maybe not what you would think about again, as you said, as like held stretches, although those were incorporated as well. Um, but really just more breath work uh, in positions where I felt really supported with my body and daily movement, so dynamic type movements as well. Um, I'm interested though, Anita, was there anything you did in terms of release work that was specific or different to breathing and yoga? Like what else yeah. did it look like? Yeah, so that's really good. That's what I wanted to bring up as well is... Um, this time around, and some listeners may be familiar with spinning babies, um, which I didn't know a lot about when I was pregnant with Pippa. Um, I had heard about spinning babies, but kind of had always had this thought of like, oh, it's just to do if you have a breech birth, there's some techniques you could do to help. Um, I learned a lot more since having Pippa. Um, so spinning babies was started by a midwife in the US, um, Gail Tully, and the idea is all these techniques um, that you can find on the website. There's also a parent video. I've done an in-person workshop. I definitely want to do more courses um, that they offer. And it's based around kind of the anatomy of the uterus and the ligaments and muscles in the area. And so um, there's kind of specific techniques that I did that they had recommended to help create space for baby. So the idea around, um, they feel that with breach, when a baby is breech, it could be that there just isn't kind of the space for baby to maneuver, to get into that head down position or other positions, transverse, um, or OP. So when the baby, you may have heard, um, sunny side up. So when they're kind of facing their, their face is facing kind of the forward of your pelvis versus the back, um, all these things could be due to do with more just there may be tension around the pelvis, pelvic floor, um, and areas related to the uterus. So I did do, um, there's something called the forward leaning inversion. So all these things you can find on the spinning babies website, and, uh, I will put that in the show notes so you can check it out. So I won't go into too much detail. Um, but the forward leaning inversion I actually started doing this, uh, technique daily. It takes about 30 seconds. All you need is your couch. Um, but there are specific contraindications. So things like if you have high blood pressure, so be sure to read the website fully so you know if it's appropriate for you. But the idea behind it is, again, uh, kind of taking pressure off of some of the uterine ligaments and just creating space for the baby. So I started that around 20 weeks. Um, and then also there's something called rebozo sifting that they talk about. And it's a really gentle um, way of, it's almost like a little bit of a massage uh, for the front of the abdomen being on hands and knees. And you do need someone else to help you with this. Um, and also um, this um, technique called sideline side release, which basically, again, we just needed our couch. At the clinic, I do this with clients using a treatment bed. Um, and it's to help release tension in the side, uh, side of the hip and the pelvis. So those I started doing kind of once a week. You can find all those on the spinning baby site. And during those, I would do like relaxation breathing. So the actual technique the purpose was to release tension physically, but then also adding the breathing on top, I thought was helpful. 
Also, um, on the Spinning Baby site, they have something called the Daily Essentials. And I, again, recommend this to clients. So it goes over different things throughout your day, different postures or positions that you could be aware of that, again, can help with baby positioning potentially. And they even have, it's almost like a mini prenatal flow in the video itself. So I would, I watch the video a number of times and then basically remembered a lot of the the postures or the flows. And I would just do that every day. So it would be about 15 minutes or so. And uh, I would just do that every night. So it's kind of like a, a, again, a prenatal flow. Um, and it's called daily essentials. So those were some of the other types of release work, I guess you would say. Does that answer your question, Jess? Yeah, yeah that's really helpful because I feel like sometimes we hear a lot about doing release and breath work in pregnancy but people are like do I just like lie on my back and breathe is that all it is so that's helpful and I will say the inversion was something I did through both pregnancies as well and it just can be so wildly relaxing on your pelvis the difference in how you feel after that so yeah it's a good one too we'll link spinning babies for sure but take a look Um, so then another part, um, kind of specifically to the pelvic floor and I did a little bit different with Pippa and Jack and the recommendations I give clients to everyone kind of will choose something a bit different. So, uh, perineal massage, which can be helpful in terms of most times people hear about it and being like, okay, it's to stretch your pelvic floor to prepare for birth. Okay. Yes. But kind of there's more to it. And even the research looks uh, that's looked at it so far has found that it's been more beneficial for first time moms um, to help with, they say, pelvic floor trauma. Um, And more specifically, they say it helps with episiotomies. Now, episiotomies help or happen for a lot of different reasons. So it's just something to keep in mind. So when I, I do you know, tell all my moms, uh, expecting moms about perineal massage, um, and that there could be that benefit for them as well. Um, something that hasn't necessarily been researched or that I'm aware of is I do find people who do do perineal massage. It actually can be helpful mentally, whether it's your first birth or subsequent birth. So that idea of getting to know that area of your body, the pelvic floor, because a lot of moms I see after they've given birth who didn't do pelvic physio during pregnancy, they're really shocked of how birth made them really get to know their pelvic floor in that moment and in recovery. And they really wish they had understood these muscles better before, like aside from being told just do a bunch of Kegels, um, because a lot of uh, women who get told that don't necessarily know where those muscles are or if they're doing them correctly, you might be actually bearing down instead of lifting or if you have pelvic floor tension, again, they may not be helpful. So I find perineal massage has benefits in that way. And for perineal massage, so generally it's recommended around 35 weeks to start. And I remember in prenatal classes um, with Pippa, we would kind of be told to like for the mom to do it and This was when I was already working with pregnant people for physiotherapy. And I'm like, realistically, to be able to to actually press on those muscles at 35 weeks pregnant is usually pretty challenging for a lot of people. So I talk about it more in terms of if they have a partner and if they're comfortable with their partner actually doing the massage. Um, And we'll link in the show notes a video I've done to show you the different techniques um, that 
that can be helpful. So again, not just the physical side, but actually mentally preparing, feeling what it's like for those muscles to stretch, you know, seeing if there's tension in the area can be helpful. Um, something I did with Pippa was actually using uh, a device called the Epino, um, which stands for no episiotomy. And it was a device um, created in uh, Europe. And so it kind of looks like a balloon on the end of a blood pressure cuff. Did you use this, Jess? I forget I if you did. I did with steel, steel. yeah. Ah. Um, and so I used it with Pippa. Um, and I found it helpful. You can use it yourself. So you don't need someone else, whereas the perineal massage you kind of do. Um, and so kind of you end up blowing up the balloon. So you feel a bit of a stretch and then you would do some breath work. Um, you do that for about 10 minutes and then you kind of would breathe the balloon out, um, essentially. And then over time you'd gradually stretch a little bit more. Um, I don't end up talking about this as much anymore because, well, it's not available in the U S I don't know if it ever was. And it was available in Canada. Obviously, Jess and I were able to use it. But as of two months ago, um, it no longer is available in Canada. Um, and it has to do with small businesses and distributors, and which is really unfortunate. Um, so it's not something available in Canada either. Um, I'm not sure the specifics. I actually had someone message me this morning from the UK to ask how they could... Um, uh, get a hold of one. And so I think it's basically online seeing if there's distributors in your country. So you won't hear me talk about it as much because I just don't think it's accessible to many people. Um, and there's also a cost with it as well. So um, just to know perineal massage can be an option. Um, and we'll link uh, that video in the show notes as well. So yeah, so Jess, you said you did the epino then. Yeah, I did the epino when preparing for that first birth. And I did find it helpful as you were speaking about in terms of the mental benefits I think of going into birth and I was quite connected with my pelvic floor and understood that anatomy quite well but just feeling that sensation I think was helpful and being able to breathe through slight discomfort was also again I think mindset wise it was a tool that was helpful to use. You did yeah. you did the massage this time leading up to Jack's birth? No, I didn't do the okay. massage with Jack's birth. Um, because I found I didn't have I didn't have tension in my pelvic floor with Pippa's birth. I didn't feel the ring of fire that a lot of people talk about, and I think that could be you know partially to do with the epino or just with everything else about the relaxation and breath work. So with Jack's birth, my the main thing for with my pelvic floor was yes, checking in with pelvic physio. Um, but going into birth without tension, in the pelvic floor, I just worked a lot on the visualization and the release work in general with all the things we've already talked about physically. Um, so I didn't do the massage or the epino with this birth and I felt like things worked out quite well as well. Like I could feel when he was crowning, but it wasn't something that to me was painful or uncomfortable. It was more just like, I knew what that sensation meant um, which meant he would be here pretty soon. And he's looking at me smiling um, <laughs> that he would have been here. He was here quite soon after that. Um, so I just did a little bit different this time uh, because I didn't have tension and to see what that would be like. And that was totally fine as well. So just to let people know, and I let clients know too, because if you do perineal massage and sometimes uh, if you have a partner doing it and they're just not quite sure how, you know, to do the stretching technique or if they're really pokey or anything like that, to not be frustrated that that means, okay, well, that it's going to, you know, crowning is going to be horrible. This is all going to, you know, be really 
painful and discomfort. So I almost did it as a little bit of a test that way to know that it doesn't necessarily mean that either. I love that. That's so cool. Your own mm-hmm. guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> so you did go to pelvic physio in this pregnancy. How often did you go? This was, I definitely went less. So I saw um, Trish, who was the physio doula at our birth. I did see her um, a few times before. Um, And then also I was able to kind of feel my own pelvic floor as well, which I know is not going to be the same. Um, But I definitely did more pelvic physio going into Pippa's birth um, because it was first birth, but also because I knew I was going in with more tension, whereas I saw um, Trish as well as another public physio um, people may have heard me on Facebook lives with is Hannah. Um, so when I was in Toronto, I would see her postpartum. So I really had a good idea where my public floor was over that year postpartum and knowing what to work on for this birth um, to kind of do what I needed to do for where my public floor was. Cool. And I mm-hmm. feel like people will want to know, did you do internal pelvic floor <laughs> treatments during pregnancy i did yeah yeah and i do with clients as well um and again it's one of those things where generally if you've been uh given the go-ahead in terms of with intercourse during pregnancy pelvic floor physio to do internal treatment of the pelvic floor is very safe to do um we don't end up uh, palpating the cervix, anything like that. We are not checking dilation. That is not within the scope of a pelvic floor physio. We're more staying, you know, forward of that with the pelvic floor to check for any tension, to check your strength. Um, that's kind of the main idea in pregnancy, um, of what we're, what we're helping with. Perfect. Love it. Okay, so let's talk about the mental and emotional side of preparation for birth. I feel like this is just as important as the physical stuff and in many cases, perhaps more important. So talk to us about this side of things. Yeah, so I thought I would start with, I've done some posts on this on social media, but this due date, due month um, idea, because that can definitely play mentally and emotionally with you as a pregnant person. Um, so with both babies, I went, um, past my due date and for me, I was kind of expecting to, my mom went past due with both, uh, myself and my brother. Um, and with the research I've done, which I'll talk a little bit more about some resources for research, but most first time moms, the average birth is like 40 and five days. So 50% will be before and 50% will be after. So going past the due date was not something I felt stressed about, anxious about. Uh, my care providers both times were very like, yep, that may happen. That's very normal. Like we're not going to be getting stressed about that either. Um, and just constantly obviously checking uh, the medical state of me and baby, um, keeping that in mind. But um For me, it wasn't stressful. What I found interesting is sometimes it's the people surrounding you get a little stressed by it. Um, So with Pippa, I did share my due date. And when that due date came and went and kind of passed, I did have some people who seemed to be getting a little bit concerned or wanted to double check, you know, um, are your midwives doing this or, you know, talking about induction, like all these different things. 
And I felt like I wasn't stressed and I felt um, very informed with the research around induction and what it means to go past your due date. Um, so this time around, I felt like, okay, so the only people that really need to know about the due date would be myself, my husband, my doula, and my midwives. There's really no, and then any other healthcare providers like seeing my naturopath or I understand that respect. And with my physio clients, it is helpful for me to know their approximate due date because again, that can change what we're doing for treatment too. But in general, no one else really needs to know. So we did, I did kind of a due month. So when people would ask, um, technically his due date was end of November, but I would, I would say people like, when are you due? I would say either end of November or early December, or I would just say early December or like kind of switched at whatever I felt like um, saying, because it could be like a mix of them. Um, and to for everyone kind of, it means different, like early December to some people could mean December 1st. It could have meant December 15th. Like, so I knew by just saying that, like it just, it left things very open. Um, but I thought it was kind of funny because I did have a couple people kind of try to pinpoint for it. Like one of my family members near the end, it was Thanksgiving weekend. So here in Canada, Thanksgiving is usually early October. And she was like, have they not given you a due date? And I was like, yes, they have. We're just not sharing it. And she didn't quite understand. Um, but it was just one of those things um, that it's just, it, other people don't have to know. They just really don't. And if that's going to help you, like for me, again, I didn't feel like it was a stress for me, but I kind of felt like other people don't need to get stressed about it or put their stress on me because I wasn't. So this time I thought it was helpful. I've already had quite a few people either locally in the community, clients or professionals in the community or people online a message saying like, I did that this time and it's actually been really helpful. I'm not going to tell people my due date. Um, so that's, I think, just something to keep in mind because going past your due date is not... Um, it happens to a lot of people and it can be very normal. So I just wanted to bring that up in case you're listening and you may try the do month strategy this time and find it helpful. What did you do Jess with both? I don't remember if you told people. That's so funny. <laughs> I love that you did that. Um, so yes, we told our due dates. Um, but same with you. My mom went to 42 weeks, like every woman in my side of the family goes to like 42 weeks so I was really thinking my due date was at like the 42 week mark um and then first baby came out 42 plus and then this one my due date wasn't it wasn't in my mind really much of the time because again I was thinking that if we were going to um try for a trial of labor for a VBAC then think I would have they would have wanted to induce me at 41 weeks I believe was the case with my midwives um but c-section ended up getting scheduled for around 40 weeks but it's funny that you mentioned that because our midwives with our first kiddo always said she didn't have children but she said if I do get pregnant someday I'm going to tell everyone my due date is on the 43 week date because then people will just they won't ask about it they won't be um, on me about why isn't the baby here yet and should you be doing something about this so yeah I love those strategies yeah I just think it can be so helpful again for the 
the mental side and the emotional side and also as the birthing person so both times I like that that due date I knew was there and I know there's a purpose for having an estimated due date medically there's different reasons but I didn't have that in my head because I see it a lot of times whether with clients or family or friends when you have this one date which five percent of babies are born on that date and then the others average before and after that date um it can be a bit of a head game for you. And I know a lot of moms get really hung up on this for you, and then the baby isn't here and then they get really frustrated and stressed and they're just ready to be done. Whereas I sometimes wonder like, what if like, because we've been told 40 is our due date. So we get this idea and then we're like, I'm totally done with this. I'm over it. What if we were told our due date was 42 weeks? Would you still feel over and done at 40 weeks? I mean, a lot of people listening would probably be like, yeah. Um, <laughs> But I just think when we have that in our head and it's not necessarily realistic that the baby is actually going to be here, it can just add extra stress onto pregnancy at the end that you just don't really need. So even having not necessarily that date in your head, uh, being aware of that date, but not feeling this pressure that the baby's supposed to be here by then, Mm -hmm. um, I think can help you also near the end of pregnancy. Yeah, that's a great point. I was totally one of those people the second pregnancy that was over it before it yeah. started. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, um, cool. So what else <clears throat> prep-wise from the mental and emotional side of things? So definitely in terms of um, childbirth ed classes, um, I found helpful. And so with Pippa, um, we were pregnant uh in Toronto. We were living in Toronto, um, Canada at that time. So what we did was, and of course I had my husband come to all the classes. He was so great and just knowing how important it was. And I, I think also because it was so important to me and all the research I did and because I worked in this area, he probably did more research, I think, than if I wasn't as much into it. Um, so we did do the childbirth ed class offered by our midwives. Um, which was great. And he thought it was really great too. Um, a lot of the questions and there was a lot of science involved and he's, he's an engineer with a background in physics. So he's all about the science. So he found that really helpful. Like evidence to him also means a lot. Um, so we did that. We also did, um, a workshop called birth without fear, which was pretty awesome. Um, put on by two doulas who own the womb, which is, um, uh, a center in Burlington and, uh, Milton. Um, and so it was just all around, um, kind of common fears around birth, the physiology around birth and how, you know, fear around birth can lead to tension, which can contribute to pain that you experience in birth. Anyways, we both found that really, really helpful. Um, and then we also did hypnobirthing and again, Andy came with me to that. So that was, um, a five week class as well. So we did a lot. Um, that was Pippa's, uh, pregnancy. And then with Jax, um, I didn't redo, there is no hypnobirthing class here where we are in Peterborough, but I didn't really feel the need to do it again. I was very happy doing it the first time. Um, but instead this time I read the book and I did all the relaxation, um, basically listening to the relaxations um, every evening. I'll go over a little bit more of that after. Um, and But we did, I did check out some of the prenatal classes here that were run by doulas or one by a massage therapist that I know 
to check out what their classes were like, which is great to be able to let clients know. And then also as a nice refresher for me, even though like this is what I teach and I do, it's nice to be a student. Um, so I did go into two of those and I had Andy come to one as a, a refresher. Um, and I do encourage people, even though if you've given birth before, like it is something to consider of, you know, diving into some of the resources again or new resources maybe you didn't know about the first time around, both for you and if you have a partner. Um, I, I know it was helpful for us and I've seen it helpful for other people too. So I would say maybe not so much assume like, okay, we've already been through it once. It's just going to be the same thing again because it may not be the same experience again. Um, so that was kind of the classes we did. Um, and so going a little bit more into the hypnobirthing, um, similar both times, I listened to the relaxation track. So anyone who's done hypnobirthing, um, this will be familiar. So there's a relaxation track as well as birth affirmations that you can listen to and different techniques you can learn. Um, I didn't do so much or we didn't necessarily practice a lot of the specific hypnobirthing um, techniques we learned in the classes in like you could have a support person kind of say specific words and it would bring you into kind of hypnosis or touch your shoulder or certain part of your body to bring it into hypnosis. Um, because I found with both births, what helped me the most was the these two tracks they had, I would listen to every night and you basically fall asleep with them playing. Um, and they kind of go into your subconscious is the idea with them. Um, and then I played them throughout birth. And for me, they worked extremely well. So I did the exact same thing again. So pretty much with this, with Jack's pregnancy, I think it started around 20 weeks. I joke with my husband because it was, I think, around 17 or 18 weeks. And he's like, are you going to be listening to those tracks again while we fall asleep? And I was like, you bet. And he was like, well, when is that going to happen? I was like, you've got two more weeks and then they'll be starting. <laughs> um, so he got to listen to them as well. Um, but uh, yeah, and then kind of if you heard my birth story on the previous week for Jack's birth, that's pretty much what I listened to the whole time was between the relaxation and birth affirmation tracks. Um and yeah, it just, it kept me focused. It kept me relaxed. And I, I do feel like it does work that it kind of goes into your subconscious. And because I did it every night for, I guess, like 20 weeks, um, it was really in there. So for both, with both babies, um, Pippa's labor was a bit longer. So I also had, um, a music playlist as well. And I listened to more music, um, with hers, I kind of went through the three different, um, the playlist and then the relaxation tracks and affirmations with her and him. I actually only, there was only one song that I listened to. So that'll always remind me of him was actually, um, let it be by the Beatles, which was actually perfect when we were listening to it. Cause it just helped me kind of surrender and just be like, whatever's going to be happening. Cause it was getting intense. Um, and for her, it was actually, uh, the song that reminds me of Pippa was actually, was it thousand years by Christina Perry. I don't know if you've heard it, but, um, I remember specifically in her labor. So you can tell music can play a big role too. I wanted to bring that up. Like it listening to things. So whether it's hypnobirthing or affirmations or listening to, you know, anything, any other audio tracks or music can really help your body relax, help your mental state and emotional state during labor. Um, so those I both highly recommend. 
Did you with steel? Do you, I don't know if, did you do hypnobirthing or did you have music or is that, because for some people it's not their thing. I have some clients who are just like, I want silence. I don't want anyone talking. And I get that too. So you got to kind of figure out who you are as a person, what kind of might help you through labor. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I love hearing about that from your perspective. So with steel, I read the hypnobirthing, listened to some of it, but I am more, I'm a highly sensitive person in general and lots of auditory stuff for me, like lots of music, lots of noise. It tends to make me more irritated at times. So I didn't. The only thing that like on the similar idea was that I had these mantras and these words that I would repeat or I had Randy say them out loud to me during labor. But other than that, yeah, I was just like really didn't want any noise, like just wanted in my own head, my own space, which was, yeah, why I wanted to labor at home for such a long time because the hospital seemed stressful to me as well. Again, just from that standpoint of being highly sensitive to sounds and noise and lights and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's funny now looking back when we got to the hospital, I don't even, I don't remember the noise at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know it's interesting, right? What you prepare for and then what may play out. But that is amazing that you practice that. You used it during a portion of your labor. Um, I think that's interesting too, because in the hypnobirthing class, they kind of have you read out loud, um, have your partner read out loud certain things. And for us, it just did not work. Andy could not be serious. We would joke. We, we were the ones in class like cracking up um, when everyone else is very serious with the hypnosis. And so we just knew that wasn't for us. I had I needed a separate, you know, audio track telling me stuff and he was not saying anything basically. So <laughs> um some other things I wanted to bring up and again, I've done some posts on these on social media are podcasts. Obviously Jess and I love podcasts cuz we co-host one. Um I discovered podcasts when I was pregnant with Pippa. Um, for so many things, for physiotherapy topics, but really a lot about birth and pregnancy as well. Um, and so I'll link to I the recent post I did was kind of my top nine birth prep podcasts, um, which I listened to throughout pregnancy. I still listen to a lot of them now too. Uh, pregnancy, birth, postpartum podcasts. Um, and even if, again, with my my actual birth story with Jack, during early labor, I actually listened to podcasts and I chose certain ones. I was basically listening to positive birth stories during his early labor um, that I knew that would put me in a good headspace as well. Um, and one particular one who we've had Alexia Leachman on the show um, on that podcast, um, and she is the host of the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. And she was one of the first ones I found with Pippa's pregnancy. So I listened to them during that, re-listened to them in Jack's pregnancy. Um, she also had released a book during while I was pregnant with Jack. Um, and I use her fear clearance technique. She has like a sequence of statements that you would say, and it has fill in the blanks. And basically you're filling in the blanks with fears that you have. Um, and it's to help basically undo fears that might... Um, that, that you would be having surrounding birth or you could actually use it for anything in life. But um, this specific uh, book is for around birth. So I use them with fears. I had going into Pippa's pregnancy um, and then some were different going into Jack's pregnancy. So I did that before. Um, 
before birth, which I thought was really helpful. And Alexia talks about also when she was on our podcast, um, how she actually used this fear clearance technique when she was actually in labor with one of her girls. So I think she was getting close to actual like pushing stage and for some reason was feeling really held back. Um, and she felt like it was more of a mental block that was blocking her. So she used this kind of technique of going through these statements um, and that helped clear them for her. So it's, pr it's pretty neat. Um, so you can check that out. Also this time around uh, through her book, I learned more about visualization, which I thought was really interesting. And I don't know why I didn't think about it as much with Pippa's birth, because if you have an athletic background or a dance background, or even as a musician, um, visualization is not something new at all. Um, and I remember going back to like specifically more so when I was a rower, um, we would do visualization a lot. Like you would have to visualize with everyone who is in your boat and everyone doing the stroke at exactly the same time and visualizing the whole entire race. Um, and so I was like, why didn't I think of this before? So Alexia has a great way of going through it. Um, and it's, she teaches not about visualizing necessarily every step of what you would want in your ideal birth, but just kind of almost feelings you want to have throughout your birth because she cautions against necessarily visualizing specifically, okay, everything is going to happen at home because if for some reason your home birth turns into a transfer, is that going to go the window? So this idea of kind of visualizing different parts of your birth or kind of the length of your birth, different things like that. So I thought I would give it a try this time and it actually was pretty accurate. It was really neat. Um, even like the length of the birth, um, just visualizing different things like that was helpful. There were things I, I did kind of that were specific around our house that even if the home birth didn't happen, even if I labored at home or, or a portion of it was at home, I visualized it and it did actually happen. So even being in the birth tub, um, and we had, all our Christmas decor up and cleaning the Christmas tree is really kind of a tradition in my family. It means a lot to me around that time. So like being in the tub and just laboring and I could see the tree in our living room, which was pretty awesome. After Jack was born, we were um, hanging out on the couch um, and he was nursing. And basically we were just like looking at the tree, like right in front of us. Like it was just really neat kind of little details like that, that I did visualize and I hoped would happen in the act they did, which was really neat. So um, I would highly recommend checking out her book. And again, this is not specific to if you're planning a home birth, um, but I just think she has so many great resources that people just don't know about um, that I think could really help with whatever birth experience, even with the cesarean birth, like with the planned cesarean birth, um, I really think there could be parts of it, or if it turns into a transfer, like I said, there could be parts of her book that just stand out that could prepare you for it, even if it wasn't necessarily something you had planned. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. I mean, we know our minds are so powerful, so it's so, it just makes sense that if you <laughs> feel like this could be helpful to you to use in prep for birth or during birth. I love yeah. that. Um, I'll just mention a couple things that I did this time leading into uh, a scheduled C-section. 
I really did not do too much because as I was mentioning earlier, I just didn't really have the mental bandwidth to handle much other than being pregnant this time and living my life. So the most important things I did though were going to a few counseling sessions. So speaking with someone about my fears and I had tons and tons of fears during that whole pregnancy. Not so much about the birth itself, although that was stuff that was coming up, but looking ahead to postpartum. So I did a lot of talking about all of those things. And again, like I was saying, not just about birth, but more so looking forward to postpartum just because I was, I had a lot of things that were coming up that I was really anxious about in that time period. So going to counseling, big fan. If it's something that you are able to access, I think that could be so helpful. Um, and I had done some counseling uh, earlier or postpartum the first time regarding birth trauma as well. So all that stuff has been um, really powerful for me. Um, and the other thing that I did during this last pregnancy was I just wrote a lot. And a lot of that was for writing on social media, writing on my blog, but I would just write down my feelings a ton. And it wasn't necessarily journaling. It wasn't pen to paper. It was even just on my laptop. Um, so I did tons of writing about how I was feeling about things just was really helpful to process. And as I said, I went to counseling to talk about how I was feeling during these time periods too, but I just talked about it in general a lot. I saw this meme the other day. It was like, it was basically talking about how you're a person that's not into small talk. Like you immediately just start talking about your traumas in life. <laughs> and it cracked me up because that's totally like where I'm at now. Like can't do small talk, but let's talk about like every intense thing that has happened in my life. <laughs> so I would just talk to like anyone and everyone about it. Like talk to my naturopathic doctors about it. The midwives, Randy, my husband, a million times over, Anita, like my friends would just talk about, I would just talk about my feelings all the time. And it was just so helpful to me and I realized that I didn't do that with steel like I talked to my midwives about some stuff but I didn't talk about any fears that I had really um I was just kind of like yeah it's okay I feel all right but this time there was just like so much more under the surface and there probably was last time too um but this time I think I was just I'm just like getting more practiced at feeling comfortable talking about things that might seem hard and uncomfortable I think that is so key to bring up because I, I see that a lot. And I know I found too, like you just, you find your key people that you want to talk to certain things about, or about certain things about. Um, but I think just, and I think you've been great with this, Jess, is on social media, like just bringing up stuff and just putting it out there as long as you feel like you can share it and you're fine with sharing it. Um, because a lot of people who read it go, Oh, thank gosh. Like someone else is going through this. Someone else gets this. It's not just me. Um, and I've seen that a lot with clients too, because as a physio, like I'll ask questions which are very much related to their preparation for birth, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And they're like, I've never thought about this stuff before. Or like everyone says like that everyone has fears. And so it's just kind of the way it is. So what's the point in talking about it? And then when we get kind of talking a little bit more about it, sometimes it actually helps with some of their physical symptoms, whether they're coming in with pain or different things going on that way. Um, but my biggest thing is like to be able to go into birth as confident as you can be in yourself, in your body, in your baby, 
can just help the process, even though the journey can, you know, take turns, um, that the more you can go in with that kind of mindset, it'll help even though those other things may happen. Yeah, a hundred percent agreed. A couple other, the mental and emotional things I wanted to go over a little bit was, and I know everyone has a different, um, idea about this. I'm curious, Jess, what you did with both is so planning a home birth, we would have our home supplies that were recommended by our midwives. And I still did a hospital bag both times. I know some people who plan home birth who like didn't do anything related to the hospital, didn't plan because they felt like if they planned for something like that, it could um, transpire into it. I'm the opposite. I'm like, I want to plan for every option. Um, because if it happens, I, it'll be a, a bit less stressful. Um, but then I don't, ha- we don't have to think about that side of stuff. So I would have my hospital and home bake and I did it well in advance. And I know some people crack up, especially with second baby. They're like, eh, like did that last second. And I know that works for people. For me, it just, as a planner, it did not. So I had both hospital and home bake both times done in advance. And then we just never ended up using the hospital bag, but I'm very thankful. Both my husband, I had mine and babies and my husband had his ready to go. Cause if we needed to make that quick transfer, that was one last thing to think about. Yeah, yeah, I think that's such a good point. And now going through that transfer from home to hospital, I would say, yeah, do it. <laughs> do it in yeah. advance. We had hospital bag ready to go, and I was so thankful, too, because we needed to leave quickly. Um, this time, again, scheduled C-section. I think I packed the night before. Um, not a planner. <laughs> well, I think it was unexpected. You ended up having it a bit earlier, so. Yes, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah they rescheduled us for the day before it was originally supposed to be. So, yeah, yeah that was a good time. So maybe that's a life lesson. <laughs> Pack in advance. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I want to say, too, with that, if you are thinking of a hospital or home birth, but also a hospital birth, and I kind of pulled, like, surveyed some people after, um, so with both babies, again, with planning a home birth, we still did a hospital tour with both. So in Toronto, the, the, um, hospital, my midwives were associated with was Mount Sinai, um, which is one of the major hospitals, uh, downtown Toronto. And then in Peterborough, we have one main hospital here. So that's where it was. We did tours both times. My husband came and even with the one here, Pippa came with us to the tour because I wanted both of us to be you know, understanding where, where we would be going, what the facility is like meeting some of the staff. Like, I think it's important, but again, I've, I've talked to other people who've done home birth who haven't necessarily done that. And everyone needs to figure out what's right for them. I just know personally for us, it was an important part of our preparation because again, if we needed to transfer that this wasn't something completely new for both of us. Yeah, you know what? That is such a good idea. I totally wish we had have done that the first time around because I think it would have likely decreased my fears of the hospital in general because I had stuff coming up about that. But as you said, too, I just remember when we were driving to the hospital when we were transferring, our midwife was like, okay, meet me at this part of the hospital. And then we got to the parking lot and we were like, ah, is this it? Like, there's construction, there's detours. And there was this time too, but of course we knew when and where we were going. But yeah, the first time around, especially with that transfer, it just all felt a bit hectic as it is. So I love that. I think that's a great suggestion. 
And then uh, you've heard me talk about with both births is um, having a doula, which I thought was uh, helpful, not only the physical, but also the mental and emotional part of birth. Um, and so I talked a bit more about that in the episode we talked about where I was going over Jack's birth. So I found it was helpful. I know my husband didn't know a lot about doulas before Pippa's birth, but um, met our naturopathic doula kind of before. I don't remember quite when in pregnancy he met her. Um, I had been working with her the whole pregnancy. And uh, and afterwards, he's like, yeah, I would totally want, like, doulas are amazing, totally would do that again. Um, and I know this time with Jack, he was thankful also for having Trish being able to help this time around too. Um, and there's a lot of evidence towards the benefits of having a doula as well. So, um, yes, we did have uh, Natasha and Bianca on episode... 24 about doula care so if you want to find out more about it the evidence of having a doula the benefits um you can find that all in that episode um and then i also watched some documentaries or um some videos that i found helpful a lot of people might be familiar with the business of being born um which was by ricky lake and then there's also the more business of being born which is kind of four other um documentaries like as a spin-off from that one about specific things like VBAC or having a doula. Those are all great. I watched them like numerous times, both times. And it's pretty funny because while my husband would never sit down and watch any of those things with me, and sometimes I would have them on in the background as I watched them like a number of times, he, there were things he would pick up from those and he would bring up later and stuff. So I knew he was listening whenever he was uh, around for them. Um, there's a lot of other ones too. Um, and even one this time I thought was really neat, uh, one called Why Not Home um, during Jack's pregnancy. And it was about uh, birth uh, health care providers in the U.S. who ended up deciding to have home births. So kind of following along their journey, um, which was really neat. And then also there's one called Heads Up, which is a documentary about breach birth, which was really cool. Um, also spinning babies has a great parenting video. Um, so yeah, as you can tell anything I can find about birth, I love watching them and learning, um, and just hearing all the different things. And just remember too, every country is different. So some of these, a lot of these documentaries are very much based in the U S. So even though we're here in Canada and so sometimes the stats or the evidence is different, um, there's still a lot you can take, uh, from different documentaries that you can find um with that and then just kind of lastly something i considered uh, ahead of time was with pippa's birth i started having the first surge or contraction like early evening um and i ended up laboring all that evening and the next day and didn't give birth till the that evening um so i knew this time around if it was going to be another labor where there was i was still going to be able to like early labor last time was just longer um so things to distract myself. Um, and so you, you'll, if you heard my birth story, you know, with Jack, I ended up like waking up, it was like two in the morning and I ended up being like, well, I'm just going to have a shower and wash my hair and dry my hair. Um, and more the purpose of that, even though I, I said in the episode, like, I don't know when I'm going to be able to wash my hair again <laughs> with a newborn, which is true. But it was more, I knew it was something to distract myself with. And same with the podcast. So I knew I could stay upright. I wasn't going to be using a ton of energy. Um, 
like I wasn't going to be running, like going up and down the stairs of trying to get labor to progress. It was more, I was just going to be like using gravity, not exhausting myself, but mentally staying distracted just to let my body do whatever it needed to do. So even thinking about those things, because again, in the middle of the night or the early hours of the morning, you're not going to go out for a walk um, or anything like that. So even just thinking ahead of time, like what things you might do if labor happens to start just to kind of keep your mind um, not so focused on every contraction because um, depending on how long your labor is that can get really exhausting mentally um, but also physically such great That's suggestions great. also flashback because <laughs> to my first labor I did go for a walk at like midnight this is in the summer much different than your December yeah. December birth um but it just cracks me up to think about it now because I was having like contractions and vocalizing quite loudly while we were going for this walk and Randy and our doula were with me and I'm just like I wonder what neighbors heard (laughs) and what they thought because they could definitely hear some things so that's so funny those are great suggestions and for sure things to distract Mm -hmm. yourself because my first labor was 37 hours so yes find some things for sure Mm -hmm. that just yeah just keep you occupied um and then some other resources i won't go into detail about the um the research with these but just so people are aware um as parents you can look into this but also asking your care providers about it you can research this so the association of ontario midwives has an amazing website um that talks about their viewpoints their guidelines around birth so this is i'm going to mention a couple resources around um guidelines for care providers or from care providers um so that's a great one even if you're in the us it can be great to look at so again the evidence or stats can be different depending where you live but you may find the information on the site actually quite helpful um the sogc so the society of obstetrician and gynecologists of canada Um, They also have guidelines around birth and then also the um, ACOG, so American College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists, um, is kind of the U.S. version of SOGC. Um, So there's always guidelines um, around that. So to understand where your care provider may be coming from, but also looking into them to bring up to your care provider in case what you feel like um, may be mentioned on their guidelines, but then you feel like that's not being mentioned to you um, in your uh, prenatal appointments. So they can be great things to research. And then lastly, evidence-based birth. Absolutely love this website. Um, It's run by Rebecca Decker. So she's a nurse in the US. Um, I went to the first conference that she had in Canada was Jack was 37 38 weeks pregnant so I was quite pregnant at this uh conference but it was so awesome um and the website has so many great resources great for health and birth professionals um but also for parents so you'll see there's two different there's kind of an area for professionals area for parents um and basically she takes the evidence she has a lot of research summarizes the evidence um, in a way that parents can understand, but then also if you're professional, um, that it might be in a little bit more detail, every, every topic you can think about. So like induction, due dates, eating and drinking during labor, just so many different topics. And so I think this is such a helpful resource, um, for parents and professionals. So kind of the last like 
kind of category we want to talk about in terms of preparing for birth was birth preferences. And I know some people feel they're a waste of time um, or they're not taken seriously when in the birth setting. Um, what I found was a different experience both times, like as in a positive experience with them. Um, with Pippa's birth, I we went over the birth preferences a bit more later on. I know throughout the prenatal appointments, we did talk about different things throughout labor that I was, you know, preferring and that kind of thing. A um, little bit different this time because I had already gone through birth and had gone through the home birth and preparing for transfer and all that. We, I actually wanted to start talking about it from the get-go because we were also in a different city. So um, even though I had clients go through home births and hospital births, I wanted to start talking about it right from the first appointment and my midwives were great about it. Um, when we did, when I did actually put the preferences in kind of paper form and went through it with Caitlin, who had been on our, our podcast, um, she read them over and she was just like, yep, like everything seems very realistic. I don't see anything on here that really is, you know, not possible or anything like that. Also think a big part is keeping them concise. So with uh, Jack's birth, I literally had one page, which was for, um, you know, in terms of home birth, if things go smoothly, like this is what I would prefer. And then the back side of the page was if we get transferred, this is what we're going to do. So, um, or this is what I would prefer. So um, just get an idea of like the head. So I put about, you know, coping strategies during labor, um, and so with that, I went through all the different strategies we talked about earlier in the podcast. So everything from like the hip, I had my hypnobirthing tracks, uh, breathing, visualization. I had wanted in terms of if positioning a baby would come into question, because this often will come up during labor, um, is I wanted to use the spinning babies techniques in labor. That was my first go-to. Again, as long as medically myself and baby were fine, if it was more just concern of if things slowed down or they weren't sure, um, maybe they thought baby was going OP or something. That was my, my initial preference is to do the spinning babies techniques with which my doula was also well versed in um and then kind of birthing positions um for me being upright hands and knees in the first birth was the most comfortable um so that was my preference going into this one and that being on my back um wasn't something like if I ended up wanting to be on my back during labor then you know, going that route, but I didn't really want it to be um, suggested or recommended um, if not needed. And so just really be able to listen to my body, basically going with my instincts um, and then kind of language in the environment. So informed consent should always be happening during labor, but it was something that I felt like I wanted to bring up again, even though my midwives have been great with it. Um, but definitely being informed of any recommendation going on um, and that I was well aware that I had to give informed consent or refusal um, for interventions or recommendations. And then also about afterbirth. So things like skin to skin, which skin to skin happens here all the time. Um, if again, medically things are fine, but these are just things I wanted to have written down so that they knew kind of where I was at, but I think keeping them concise. So again, kind of bullet points, home birth, um, and then hospital if we were transferred, what uh, what my preferences would be at that point. And also even preferences, if a cesarean birth happened, which again, if it was an emergency, 
Um, and it would technically, it would have been an unplanned one, right? Unless for some reason, right before birth happened, I never went into labor. Um, it would have been an unplanned one. So you can't necessarily always have choices when it comes to that as Jess, you would have experienced. Um, but just some things that I felt like if these things could happen, these were important preferences to me. Yeah, I like that. And I love the language around that too. Exactly what you just said. If these things are to happen, this is what I would prefer. Mm -hmm. If the health of mom and baby is good and solid and well, then these are the things I would prefer to happen. And yeah, I just think that that is important to have those things on paper um, so people know. So people know and that they can check in with them and then check in with you about it. Yeah. And something I kind of brought up before about home birth is, uh, like you said, some people I think who plan home birth don't plan for any of the other possibilities. My midwives will fully say this as well, that we probably spent more time talking about transfer possibilities or what if there's meconium, if my water breaks, all of the other things that may happen that may mean a home birth doesn't happen, a transfer happens, or even all the different options at the hospital. What if uh, forceps might be recommended or what if we do have to go for a cesarean like we talked about all the others probably even more than our home birth um, to me that's really important because again the more mentally I could be prepared for other things to happen I felt like it could bring me into birth more confident and just more relaxed of like okay if this happens yes it's not ideally what I had wanted but we've gone over this scenario. My midwives know what I would prefer. And the biggest thing is I want to be talked through everything. So if they felt a transfer needed to happen, I didn't want it just to be, okay, we need to transfer now. Like I wanted to know, like, why are they recommending it? Why is it happening? And even if it's something that has to be done fairly quickly. So yeah, I just wanted basically a lot of things to be explained and I wanted to be actively a part of it. So I talk a lot about that with clients that if birth, if things get recommended and things happen that weren't necessarily uh, part of your ideal birth, um, but if you get explained to you and if it's not a big emergency and you can actually make be part of the informed choice, I have clients who come out of births who totally went in the opposite direction, but because they actually were actively a part of the decision making, um, they came out and it was actually a positive birth experience for them. So that's the biggest part is like feeling supported and feeling informed um, throughout the process, I think brings you out of your experience um, in a much different headspace. Mm -hmm. I guess mm -hmm. it's the best way uh, to put it. So yeah, I wanted to let people know, cause I think again, with home birth, there's a lot of assumptions that are made um, and I can only speak from my experience, but we planned for all the other possibilities way more um, than if things went smooth. And they did end up going very smooth, so we didn't need those, but that was part of my preparation. Mm -hmm. I think this is such good advice and something that if I was to have tried a trial of labor this time, we were going to spend a lot of time discussing all these different um, preferences and parameters that I wanted in place for that attempt of a vaginal birth because we did not do that the first time around. And I think that's why the C-section, the transfer of the C-section all felt really 
like shocking to me afterwards. Like I was like, oh, I didn't even like really think through this stuff too much. Like I knew that a C-section and transfer were a possibility, but I just didn't really believe that it was going to happen. And I didn't know what was going to, uh, what my options really were at the hospital, even though I was with incredible midwives. And they were asking me if I wanted this or this to happen before we moved to C-section. And in those moments, I, I couldn't really make the decision. I was just like, I defer to the midwife. I don't really know. I haven't talked through this with her. And now I'm in this space where I just cannot talk through this. So, yeah, fantastic advice. And I think um, for anyone who might be planning for a VBAC as well, too, talking through all the different things surrounding the vaginal birth and the potential of the c-section as well so key mm -hmm. and that's where i think also the hospital tour comes in handy too um because i got to see the room you know if we were transferred and i was laboring the birthing suite where if we did go for a cesarean where that area looked like all these different things which i think can just help mentally prepare you for if any of those possibilities were to happen so i think with birth preferences just keeping those few things in mind. Um, and I think also the key thing is birth preferences or plants, whatever you want to call them, just labor itself doesn't tend to get talked about until like 36 weeks, like majority of time. So I never asked, I should ask my midwives if they were kind of surprised. I literally brought the first appointment. What was I? Seven, eight weeks pregnant. <laughs> We like I, every appointment, there was something about labor and birth that was brought up or the immediate postpartum care, um, which I think was helpful. And I think it can be helpful for more people to get into that mindset. And I know there's different reasons why you may not want to talk about labor that early. And I totally understand that you got to do what what sits with you. Um, whether that's waiting till after the first trimester for various reasons. Um, but I would encourage you talk about labor before the end of pregnancy, before 36 weeks, because you may be surprised with answers that you receive about maybe what your preferences are or um, your care provider can go through things that maybe you feel are realistic with labor, but maybe they're not. And I mean, there's a whole list of things um to go with that so i just encourage you talk about labor way before the end of pregnancy um and again i think it just can help you go into your labor or your um planned cesarean birth however you give birth it'll just give you more confidence going into it it's amazing such good advice I'm so thankful that you are a wealth of information on this topic and these show notes are going to be packed with resources <laughs> On the next episode of To Birth and Beyond, we have Jessica Dalladay joining us. Jess is a certified athletic therapist, Pilates instructor, and a postnatal fitness specialist. We have a great conversation with Jess that was near and dear to my heart. We talk about her experience and recovery through hypothalamic amenorrhea, disordered eating, overexercise, and how this all affected her in her journey through fertility, pregnancy, and now postpartum. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 